So we're going to read uh, Romans chapter 10, from verse 5 down to 13. And uh, before we do that, let's pray together just a minute. (laughs) Excuse me. Let's pray once again. Father, we pray for your help, and we ask you to help us to understand, to engage with what you're saying to us, uh, and to see it applied in our hearts and our lives. uh, To your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So Paul is speaking about Christ as the end of the law for righteousness. There's a righteousness that's not according to, uh, by establishing our own righteousness, but it's a righteousness from God. And he says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus told many parables uh, to explain the kingdom of God, and two short ones uh, appear uh, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13, and literally, they literally cover three verses, two parables in three verses, and uh, so let me read it to you, uh, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then the next parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now both of those parables... Uh, show us what an amazing thing it is to discover the kingdom of God, to discover the Lord Jesus Christ, to discover the salvation that is found in him. And discovering the kingdom of God, of course, goes hand in hand with discovering the king. Uh, The king is the king of the kingdom, and to discover the kingdom is to discover the king. And uh, Jesus is the king, and he's the one speaking the parable. So he's really, he's speaking about himself. An amazing thing to discover who Jesus is, who I am in front of you, and to realize who I am. And it's so wonderful when you discover it that you're never the same again. 
So in the first parable, a man sells everything to buy the field that the treasure is in. And then in the second, the merchant is willing to, to give up everything he has just to have that pearl of great price, the pearl of great value. And Paul, as we look at Romans chapter 10, 9, 10, 11, um, he is speaking with that level of intense joy at having discovered this treasure. And you remember back in chapter 8 how he was uh, riding on the heights of assurance and the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. He was in the Himalayas of uh, the blessing, if you like, and Everest, he climbed that as well, spiritually speaking. Uh, He was up in the heights in chapter 8. And uh, he speaks, therefore, of the preciousness of the gospel that he discovered himself, personally, when he met Christ. And uh, so he has Jesus Christ as the treasure of his heart. And such was his zeal for the gospel. He was willing to spend himself for Christ's sake so that others might discover this treasure as well. And it's an amazing thing, amazing testimony of the Apostle Paul and just how he spent himself um, in the gospel ministry. So that's one side of the effect of receiving that treasure, is the joy and the desire for others to, to hear about it. But the other side, the other effect of holding this treasure, uh, this, uh, the other effect of being a true believing Christian, is that when you find people who uh, do not receive it or will not receive it, then you're burdened with a great sense of sorrow and deep anguish. You know, it's a deep anguish. It's a deep anguish of soul when you find people, especially people who are close to you. You you, Some of you will know family members that have never come to Christ and seem to reject coming to Christ. And you feel a great burden for them. And no doubt it drives you to prayer for them. But this is what Paul is is like as he thinks about his fellow Jews. Who had, uh, on the whole, had rejected Jesus Christ. Although some had become Christians. uh, But many of them rejected him. And as we saw last time at the end of chapter 9. Jesus Christ kind of becomes this rock. He is this rock that for some people is a stumbling block. You know, it causes you to fall over. You know, you start talking about Jesus and suddenly everything goes all wrong when you're talking to the person about Jesus. And it's a stumbling block. For, he's a stumbling block for them. But then there are some people for whom he becomes the cornerstone of their lives. And as they become part of the church, they realize that Christ is at the center of the church that they've joined and become part of. And he is their treasure. And he is the one that establishes the foundations and gives stability to the church uh, in its eternal existence. And so last week we we thought about this rock of stumbling, or is it a rock of of, uh, of blessing? And uh, it highlighted for us uh, two principles uh, 
by which people uh, try to be dis- or, or, or get righteous, get right with God, or discover a, or find a righteousness before God. The two principles are this are found in verse 3 that we read last week. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So the first way in principle is the principle of trying to establish your own righteousness by your own works, by your own law-keeping and seeking to be as holy as you can be. And by doing that, you acquire for yourself a righteousness that will play well with God. And you assume, therefore, that if you have sufficient native righteousness, that God, therefore, has no uh, option but to declare you to be righteous. Well, I think you can see that's a false way. The second principle is submitting to the righteousness of God. That meant relying on the saving work of God in Jesus Christ, who came to be a saviour, who came to deal with our sin to, and to, to suffer on the cross for our sakes, but then gloriously to rise again for our justification. And therefore, all that's left for us to do is simply to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work for us, that we don't come to God on our merits, but rather we rest on Christ and his merits. He has done it all. So, so two principles. One, a principle of resting on our good works. The other, putting faith in Jesus Christ and resting on his works. This is a glorious truth about the gospel, and yet so many reject it. Now, all the way through the letter, um, I, think Paul, uh, I think Paul anticipates how his Jewish readers are particularly going to think. Or at least some of the arguments, uh, he's thinking about some of the arguments that maybe Jews outside of the church might bring against these new Christians. Because Paul knows that there are going to be those who will say to him, but doesn't the law of the Old Testament teach a principle of works? Uh, Now what we need to realize, of course, and recognize, is that these two principles, the principle of works or the principle of faith, hold out two different ways of being justified before God. One lays out the prospect of a long, hard road of work with no certainty uh, that you'll get to the end in an acceptable fashion and you wait for the judgment of God upon your life. And the other is the way of faith that holds out the prospect of immediate and sure, uh, that immediate and sure declaration that you are indeed righteous before God. God acquits you of all your sins and declares you to be righteous because Jesus is righteous and you've been bonded to him and he has dealt with your sin on your behalf. So one of those ways, the way of works, is far away and the way of faith is near I think it's probably true to say that first century Jews who had somewhat distorted the Old Testament uh, teaching had thought of themselves in that long road to ultimate justification 
But what Paul is about to do in verses 5 to 8 is to show that the long road to justification by works was never what the Old Testament taught. Rather, it was always nearer. The, the way of justification was always nearer than they thought. And that's what I want to think about now with you now. The, the, first of all, the nearness of the word that saves. The nearness of the word that saves. Paul starts in verse 5 by quoting from Moses. Uh, So for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And that's a quotation from Leviticus 18 verse 5. And it is accurate, of course. He's not messing it up. Uh, The person that does the commandments shall live by them. And it's interesting because for some of us that might read like Moses is saying, keep the commandments and you'll be saved. And it looks like a, a works principle of salvation. And that's actually how many Jews thought of it. A kind of works principle that gets you, uh, that, that where you obey the law and you, you develop your own righteousness. And it's actually how some modern Christians see the Old Testament. That the Old Testament is about salvation by works and the New Testament is salvation by faith. In Jesus Christ. But actually that's a mistake. It's a misreading. Uh, not only, you know, people will lift that verse that, you know, that, that verse that Paul is getting his quotation from Moses from and lift it out of its context and start speaking about a works principle in the Old Testament. But you need to look at the whole context of the Old Testament. And you, in, order for it, in order for you not to make the Old Testament say something it's not saying. If you look carefully at Leviticus 18, that statement about doing commands and living by them is made within the context of grace already given to the people of God. You see, they've already been saved from Egypt. They've already been redeemed. And now, as redeemed people, this is how you live. As redeemed people. And that's the principle that that Moses is speaking about in, in Leviticus 18 verse 5. That this is the new life that they have been given. By God, from God, and they have to live now according to this new life that they have. And the way I've described it so far is the way that Paul has been describing the Christian life in chapters 6 through to 8. You've been given this new life, now live according to it. And so what Paul is doing here in verse 5 of chapter 10 is taking the quotation from Leviticus 18 verse 5 and mentioning it as the source of the principle of works that the Jews are holding on to, which is wrong of course. But what Paul does next is an amazing thing. In verse 6 he starts talking about the righteousness based on faith. But the righteousness based on faith says, and the 
mentions a few things. And this is the alternative. This is the truth of the matter. And the principle that Paul wants us to see here is that the words that produces faith is near. And he quotes Moses again, uh, this time from Deuteronomy 30, verse 14 and verse 8. Uh, let me just read that to you. What does it say? What does Moses say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the words of faith that we proclaim. We'll come back to verses 6 and 7 in a moment. But immediately after the quote, Paul says this. This is the word that we proclaim. So the word that Moses proclaimed, this is the word that we are proclaiming. It's the same thing. It's just dressed up differently. It's actually the same word. And in Moses' time, it may have been in seed form, if you like, less well-developed and less mature. But now the gospel in the New Testament is the full flowering of that Old Testament revelation. And now he preaches the same thing. And it's the same principle. God is near calling people by his word to trust him in everything that he has said. In other words, the principle of faith for righteousness has always been at play. Even in Moses, it has always been that principle. It's never been about a principle of works. So what about verses 6 and 7? That's that's a kind of strange thing to say. Uh, Let me read those. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. It's kind of a strange thing to say. And I think what Paul is getting at here is that if you believe there's an alternative way of salvation to the one I've just laid out by faith, which you can find by reaching heaven by yourself or by plumbing the depths by yourself, maybe going through a period of ascetic suffering or something like that, then to put this simply, you, put it simply, you deny the historical facts of the, the coming down of the Son of God from heaven to save you. If you think... It's a works principle. Then you deny the need for Jesus Christ to come down and and then to be resurrected from the dead. So I think that's what he's getting at here. And instead of trusting that Jesus who has come down from heaven and gone into the depths and then risen from the dead, you are trusting in yourself and your own abilities. And friends, the way of of salvation is is indeed very simple. And it's at the end of verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. It's simply to believe the word of the gospel uh, that was proclaimed by Paul. and, And generations since who have been faithful to his ministry, you believe in that too. Down the centuries, the church has rested upon that faithful proclamation of the gospel. The belief in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. And that's what he comes to next. 
So we're going to think now about believing and confessing Christ in verses 9 through to 11. And you could not get a simpler way of salvation for folks like us. When you read this, you might be, some people might be tempted to think, is that it? (laughs) It's so simple. The gospel is so simple. Uh, And people do greet it with disbelief. But that's the amazing thing about our God. He sent his son to do it all. And all that's left is for us to confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts. It's a glorious thing. And just notice a couple of things with me. Uh, Firstly, note the content of the faith that a Christian must believe. Uh, There's two things that that Paul says here. Um, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So the content is these two things, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Now the two things are very closely linked in Paul's mind. Um, If you look back to chapter 1, verse 4, he's speaking about the gospel. Uh, In verse 1, Romans 1.1, he speaks about how he's an apostle for the the gospel of God, um, which he promised beforehand through his prophets the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And here's the bit I want to point point out to you. Verse 4, And he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The moment when Jesus, I mean, he is always Lord, but the moment that he is seen to be Lord is the moment when he is resurrected from the dead. And so his lordship is closely associated with his resurrection from the dead. The evidence of his lordship is closely associated with his resurrection. He is the Son of God who came in flesh, suffered and died, and then was raised to life. But in, the essence, in essence, the, the theology of the Christian, uh, the, the content of the Christian faith is very simple. You, you don't need a theology degree. You don't need to even know your Bible that well, I have to say. You just need to know that God the Son came and suffered and died and rose again from the dead. And then the second thing to say about this is to speak about the the response that's required. And there's two responses that are required here. Confessing with the mouth and believing with the heart. Take the second first. The believing in the heart. Now in the Bible, the heart is at the very core of your being. The heart involves three, three aspects of your, the core of your being. It involves your intellect, your mind, how you think. It involves your, your affections, the things you love, and the things you set your heart upon. And it involves your will, the things you're determined to do, the priorities that you set in life, the things you want. And these things are at the very core of our being, aren't they? And what Paul is saying here is 
You need to believe in such a way that your mind is affected, your affections are affected, and your will is affected. If your will is not affected, you have not yet believed. If your affections have not been affected yet, you have not yet believed as you should. If your mind has not been changed, you have not yet believed as you should. You do not yet have saving faith. So it's no surprise that the Bible talks about the heart as being vitally important. Uh, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And this is the very place that Paul wants to apply the gospel. Believe in your heart. Go to the very wellspring of life. And receive the gospel there. Goes to the very core of your being. It actually conditions who you are and what you think you are. It transforms how you think about everything else. It transforms what you love. It displaces all those old affections. It profoundly affects how you live. The priorities you set, the principles by which you make decisions about what you actually do. You see how important this is. How deep it has to go. The true faith involves the surrender of every part of you to Jesus Christ. Take away the mind and the heart and the will and there's nothing much left of you. Just a shell of matter. (laughs) There's nothing left. So God wants all of you. Jesus requires all of you. Believe in your heart and you shall be saved. The other part of the response is to confess with your mouth. And of course it's by faith alone that a person is justified and, and saved. But the kind of faith that Paul is speaking of cannot be suppressed. You can't, you can't keep it in. It's got to come out somehow. It's, it's, the, kind of, it's the kind of faith that, that bubbles over like a, a bottle of fizzy lemonade. You know, you shake up the bottle of fizzy lemonade and it goes everywhere. That's what having saving faith is like. And if you believe in your heart, then you you can't help but confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I remember, so story time, I've got a couple of stories. I remember once uh, I knew a lady who went to church, but she never spoke about a Christian. This is many years ago. Um, I think it was in a church that Susan was a member of before we were married. And I knew this lady went to church but never spoke about her Christian faith to anyone. And she never said anything about what she believed. She just went to church. And when I did finally get into a conversation with this lady, um, I did ask her about this. You know, and in order to explain her quietness about the Christian faith, she said, well, I, I have a deep faith. <laughs> I have a deep faith. It's so deep that you'd never know it's there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, you see how people are deceived about this? That's not real faith. Real faith always brims over. It always comes out in your speech. There are many ways in which you can't help yourself. And you find yourself, you know, you'd be, you could be at your place of work, and you say something, and it 
And because you're a Christian and, and your faith brims over, you start saying things about Jesus Christ to somebody and they're not expecting it. And maybe you didn't expect to say it, but you say it. And then you think, well, what have I just said? And uh, you know, amazingly, suddenly you're into a, an evangelistic conversation. Why? Because you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. It bursts out of you. You confess it with your mouth. I remember as well, more recently, a lady uh, I met in Solihull who I discovered was going to church, and I, and I asked her this question, and it's a question I often ask people um, who go to church, I say, what does Jesus mean to you? Uh, to which she responded, everything! <laughs> everything! Jesus means everything to me! And uh, I didn't say this, but I wondered, so are you, are you speaking about this Jesus all the time because this is a Jesus who means everything to you? Are you talking about him all the time because he means everything to you? Really? And I don't think that was true. But that's a, that's a kind of classic answer, isn't it? Well, he just means everything to me. It means I don't have to spell out what he does mean to me. I just say everything. That covers all, covers all the bases. But having real faith does burst out of you. You can't stop it. That's why Paul says. It gives it almost as a diagnostic for genuine Christian faith. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. Is this the kind of faith that you have this evening? A belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ affects everything. Does it affect every aspect of the core of your being? The fact that you're a Christian and you claim to love Jesus Christ, does it affect everything? Is that the kind of faith that you have? Is it a faith that brims over so that through what you say to your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues, there's no doubt in their minds that you are a believer in Jesus Christ? That saving faith. Many Christians lead a double life. They know how to use the right language in a setting like this. But when they get to their place of work, they become a completely different person. Never speak about Jesus. And enter into the ways of the world. I used to work in a, uh, an industry. and I used to work in an office where people, various people claimed to be Christian. And I remember one man he was claiming to be Christian. I used to see him at evangelistic events. But he would talk to the secretaries in lewd terms, making sexually re- uh, explicit jokes with them. There are some people who claim to be Christian and can come to a meeting like this, and yet when they're outside, they're completely different. Friends, we need to examine our own hearts to see if we are in the faith as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13 is that your saving faith finally in the last two verses in verses 12 and 13 uh, Paul emphasizes that this is the only way 
of salvation because Jesus is the only Lord and Savior. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It's not the way of sal- uh, one way of salvation for the Jew and one for the Gentile. It's not one way of salvation for the rich and for the poor. It's not one way of salvation for, uh, for black or white or whatever color your skin is. It's not one way of salvation for Western people and one way of salvation for Muslims and Jews. For the Lord is Lord of all. And all, must people, all people must come to, to receive this brimming over faith in Jesus Christ. And notice that he is a generous savior. Bestowing riches on all who will call on him. And one of the things that people find when they discover this faith in Jesus Christ and is, is they begin, first of all, to, to fear that they're going to lose so much. They're going to lose friends. They're going to lose family members, uh, relationships, maybe put their job at risk or whatever. But Jesus is no man's debtor. And Jesus is an abundant, has an abundance of riches that he wants to give to his people, to all who call on him. And he will never let you down. And you begin to experience that now. If you put your faith in Christ now, you begin to experience that. You have a whole new set of friends, a new family called the Church of Jesus Christ. And this, the appreciation of that, of his riches, grows more and more as you grow in fellowship with him and he takes you home to glory. He is no man's debtor. So don't be afraid to lay hold of Jesus by faith. Put your faith in him. See him as your treasure. Love him. And and this is the final assurance. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's have no doubt. This is the appointed way. This is God's appointed way of salvation. Not by works, not by principle of establishing your own righteousness. Simply call in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's that simple. So let's make sure that we all take this way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you for the glorious Jesus Christ. And in him has found all the riches that we could ever imagine. We pray that you'd help us to appreciate him more and more. Lord, may we have this brimming over faith that enables us to to speak and proclaim about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to our friends and our neighbors. And And to one another, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.